Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. I was right. <laughs> well, also at the time in Orange County, though, as I recall it, like I mean, I remember going into your studio for the first time. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Like this is like like there weren't a lot of other places. I knew about practice places, but actual studios where you could go and record and be able to make a record. Like I didn't, I didn't understand any of that. So you provided kind of a gateway to I think a lot of us to show like, hey, you know, this is how, you know, if, if you're interested in going down this path, you know, if you don't want to do a record label, if you don't want to do a band, but you want to be involved and you want to record bands, this is what I'm doing. And yeah, it, it was just, it was just awesome. And, that, and also that accessibility of, you were right down the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it did end up being a great location. But I mean, if you remember back then, though, I mean, no one wanted to be from Orange County. You had to be an L.A. band. I mean, I knew a lot of bands uh, that would get uh, L.A. or Hollywood uh, uh, P.O. boxes so they could say they were a L.A. band, you know, but we were all living in Orange County just trying (laughs) to figure out how to make it all work and not be poo-pooed by everybody, all the, you know, cool L.A. bands. Who was yeah. the first band that you recorded there? Do you, do you remember that? I, I I absolutely do. I will never forget it. It was uh, it was Manic Subsidal, which do you know that they who that is? Uh, uh no. They, <laughs> they, they ended up being the Offspring. Ah, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I was actually I think I don't know if we ever really said it out loud. But I'm pretty sure that I was their babysitter on the weekends <laughs> because they 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 started coming to me and they um, they didn't have driver's licenses, so they would all clean their parents' house and get paid, and then somebody's mom would drive them over to the studio like on Saturday morning, and they would just give me all their money from <laughs> that their parents had given me. And so I was just kind of babysitting them and they would come in and we would just knock out songs. Um, it was, it was really, it was really interesting to, to be involved with them and stuff. And it's funny too, because I always, it always felt like they were going to do something, even though they were young and raw and but there was just something about them that I that lured me in and we became really good friends and 
you know, and I'm still really good friends with, with the, with the whole band, you know, um, Dexter calls me from all over the world, you know, and we, uh, well, I mean, he was just here in Atlanta, uh, a few, few months back. And, uh, I was kind of, I had been traveling a lot and I got kind of sick, so I couldn't catch up with him, but yeah. Uh, and then shortly after we, you know, we did, oh, I don't know, eight or 10 songs. And then they told me one day that they changed their name to the offspring. And, uh, uh, it was just, they, they had, they ended up having a very interesting, uh, recording process because they had a few songs that they, that they knew, you know, and they came in and did that. But then Brian started, or, uh, Dexter, he started writing a lot of songs and the band hated them. So he would come in all by himself with all the band's gear and we would just set up and he would lay down a drum track and then he'd put a bass or guitar on it or whatever. And then we'd just build the song. And sometimes he would sit there and actually write lyrics while I was like taking a break or kind of cleaning up or whatever. And then we'd put the vocal track on it and then he would, then he would take it back to the band and they would love the song and then he'd bring the whole band back in and we'd redo the entire song with all of the, uh, with all the, you know, the members. Did the recording process in that way go any quicker, you found? Like, the fact that you guys had already sort of, like, done, like, I guess pre-production or demoed the song, did it go quicker? Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was a great way to do it, really. I mean, we didn't see it that way, but it really was. We, we worked out a lot of uh, parts and stuff that, yeah, it definitely was like a pre-production thing. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And so, and then, so you did like, I'm assuming demos and then the first record, I believe, or. Yeah. 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 Um, what was that first record? Now I can't even remember. I know it came out on Nemesis because that was Big Big Frank because he put that out. Because Big Frank, I mean, he put out everything, but he also did All of Law, which I think recorded with you as well. And then he was going to do Ice, but by that point, he'd sort of kind of stop doing the uh the uh, label but incidentally with that oh. first offspring record he told me that's the only record he ever did this deal with where he only had that record for three years and then i think they got it back and so i think when he started nitro when when, when dexter started nitro i think that was like re-released through uh nitro yeah, I wondered about that too. I never asked them about that, but all of a sudden it popped up as part of their catalog and I thought I wondered if they bought it from them or <laughs> how that all worked out, but it did seem like uh, uh yeah, I didn't know they that they they only owned it for 3 years. Well, I um, remember sitting in your studio in 1993, Triggerman were like demoing some songs and you said, "Hey, did you guys know that the Offspring's record, it was the record before Smash, and you're all, it's already sold 200,000 copies. And I remember like, I was like, wow, like that is like astronomical. And and nobody was doing that. And then, you know, and then Smash came and did what it did, and the, and the rest is history. But you were the one, like you said that. So it's interesting, you, you always saw something in them, and that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it it there there was just a, a determination. I think there was, it was just like a combination of determination and just they were just they were all friends, you know. They were all buddies, you know. We were all just we were like family, really. It, it was it was really fun. 
Yeah, I mean, there there were some great times. Oh, my gosh. And so, All of you guys. <laughs> and so that was the first band. Do you remember anything about recording? Oh, I'm just going to start hitting you with uh, bands. And whatever you remember, you remember. Like, Far Side. Do you remember anything about recording? Because I think, I believe you did their demos. Yeah, yeah. I I distinctly remember them. And, and I don't, but I don't remember. And you gave me, you know, uh, you gave me a few bands, you know, before we started the interview, but, um, and, and I distinctly remember the bands. I could almost see their faces, you know, in my mind, but I just, for life of me, I can't remember, uh, a lot of the recording sessions, you know, they were, um, I just know that, that it, it was just really good guys and they were, they were working really hard. And I just, I, you know, I was really trying to make everybody sound as good as I could because, um, you know, they were just so dedicated. They were so inspiring to me to, um, you know, to see what they were doing and stuff. And I, I just, I just loved being a part of it. I well, you know, it. there was a warmth, like, you know, you talk about like the sound of the room and stuff like that. There was a warmth to those far side demos that I think a lot of people liked. And then those demos later got released on uh, Kevin Kevin Murphy and Brian Chu, who were in Farside. They ended up putting those those out. And so I, but I always remembered the sound from those. And I was just like, wow, like, one day I would like to do something that sounds like uh, that. that was, yeah, that was a nice room. I, I really loved that room. And I, I think everybody know. did you know there was an, uh, an acoustic echo chamber in that room in that building uh no i mean honestly i i don't know if you remember this but when i was in there as far as recording ice we booked five hours with you we did our whole seven inch with you in five hours we booked five hours with you the first <laughs> the first four were we were like we it was just music and then, like, the last hour, Popeye, because he was in the band at the time, came and got me and said, it's your time. And I think, due to time, and I mean, they were ice songs, so they didn't need more time than this. I think I did one song, like, after after another, and I don't think there was more than one or two takes at the most. But I remember being in that room, and it was just, there was something about that room but I never saw. So wait, are you saying that there was an echo chamber within that that room? Yeah, behind the uh, the back wall of the control room, there was a huge cavity back there that had all reflective walls, and it and the the space actually went up over the control room, and I had two speakers in there, and then whenever so whenever we would go to start mixing. I would take uh, two Shure SM81s and do a stereo pair inside there, and I would bring that uh, the sound of the echo chamber into the console and put it on the add it to the recordings. Was that done for the majority of the recordings? Was that everything? Everything that I I did, I would always put drums in there, and uh, usually a lot a lot of vocals. I think I did in there too, but um, with with guitars, I tried to use more of the room sound than uh, than anything else, and you know some tasteful outboard gear kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that and that. By the way, that building had a lot of uh, history. Um, the Beach Boys recorded there uh, back in the day. Uh, I believe the Righteous Brothers in that same building. In, in that in that building, yeah, wow. yeah. 
Yeah, wow. and um, uh, the they did the they did a satellite link before I had the building. They did a satellite link and bounced the signal to a um, to a CD place in uh, Hollywood and did a direct to CD recording from there of of the Beach Boys. Who, oh, oh, yeah, I don't know, you know who the band was, but yeah, the the whoever had that building before me. Yeah, actually did. I believe that it was the first direct-to-CD recording ever. So, correct me if I'm wrong, a few years later into the 90s, or even then when we were in, you would have not done that. You just would have gone, like, you, you could have done that in your studio at that point. Like, like if, if you had been so inclined. I don't think that that technology was available. I don't think you could record directly to CD at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we were going to DAT. Yep. Uh, yeah, the little, uh, you know, it looked like a little video cassette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like um, what the mini DVs ended up yes. ended up looking like. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, so, uh, so yeah, we were recording to that and then uh, sending it off to a uh, production. Yeah. 